listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Before we jump in, uh, I just want to tell you, if you're going to be following along in your Bibles, I'm going to be primarily in Luke 18 through 22, uh, chapters 18, verse 22. I'll jump around a little bit, but that's basically where I'm going to be for the most part. And as I was, as I was thinking about this morning and kind of just talking and praying and asking the Lord, okay, you know, I've got one Sunday, Lord, uh, what is it that you would have for me to unpack? It kind of just hit me. Um, one of the very obvious things, and, and that is that in a very real way, Rental would probably ask me to fudge this number higher, but we're probably only going to be in this place about nine more times. He would probably ask me to say 16 just to like cover our bases. So if I'm wrong in that, don't get upset at me. But in a very real way, we're only going to be here for a handful, a handful more times. And then I was also thinking about it, that that's going to be a pretty dramatic change in our church. But within the past week and a half, um, we've had a couple from our church get married. We had a family bring a, a new baby into the world. We had a family say goodbye to one of their teenagers as they headed off to college. And we're just kind of sitting as a church in a position of transition. And so as I was kind of praying through that, the Lord kind of led me through these scriptures and my thought was, how can we allow these changes? And, and whether they're good changes, bad changes, big changes, small changes, whatever it is that life presents us, that God presents us, how can we allow that change to align us to him, to make us more like him, but also to kind of exude um, the gospel for those who may be kind of peering in and looking in? And as I was thinking about it, there really, uh, I have kind of a twofold purpose today. The first is, how do we do this as a church? When we move, you know, however many miles it is, 15, 20 miles into town, into a new building, different culture, how do we do it with the attitude of Christ so that what we are all about is the gospel? But then on an individual sense, how do you? How do you individually embrace whatever comes your way in such a way so that those who are looking in at you and on your life see the gospel presented? And so that's kind of what I want to do. We're going to do a case study, if you will, of some of the disciples. That's why we're going to be in Luke. And so if you would just pray with me, and uh, then we will get started. Time out. Do you have the water? Here, sneak it up while I'm praying. People won't know. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, you created it, and even if it wasn't beautiful, and even if we didn't have these great plans for this weekend and some of us having time off, Father, it would be amazing just because you created it and you gave us breath and you've brought us here. And Father, I pray over this word. God, your word is deep and it's rich and it's wide, and without your help, without the power of your Holy Spirit, we are lost. And it is a fool's errand for us to assume that we will understand. And so, Father, would you partner with us today? Would you show us your truth? I, I pray over myself that my words would not lead astray, that I wouldn't go to the left nor to the right, but that I would follow your perfect, predefined will for this morning. So help us as we open up your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me give you the backdrop as we're getting to those chapters in Luke. Jesus, okay, hang on. It's 28 to 30 AD, which means Jesus is 28 to 30 years old, obviously. 
And the disciples have been with him and following him for a handful of years. Now, the stories of Jesus precede their time with him. So they've heard the story of him showing up in the church at 12 years old and confounding the wisdom of the scholars. They've heard that. They've walked with him. They've seen him heal the lame, the blind, the mute, bring people back from the dead. They've watched him walk on water and teleport them from one place to another. Not just Jesus, but them as well. Amazing story. If you're not familiar with it, John chapter 6, 16 through 21, mainly verse 21. Amazing stuff. So they've seen all this. And now they are, you know how it is, like, if you're hanging out with somebody who's amazing at something, whatever it is, you kind of start planning what your end game is going to look like. If you've attached, maybe a good example would be this. If, if you were to marry someone who was a phenomenal baseball player, okay, you would immediately, you may not say it, but you're kind of expecting, okay, we're going to be traveling a lot. He may get kind of famous, probably going to have a good bit of money. This is kind of what we're looking for. This is what we're planning. The disciples had the same thing. They, they weren't like, we're ready to marry Jesus, obviously, but they had attached their lives to his. They were basically saying, Jesus, wherever your cart goes, we're following. And they've seen him do all these miraculous, amazing things. And so they've started to come up with their own end game. And Luke chapter 19, that's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. It should be popping up uh, here, but if you want to follow along with me in your, in your Bibles, that would be great. Um, we get kind of a little inroad into what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their heart. Luke 19, 11 tells us this. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, had they been paying attention to Jesus, they would know that this was not the case, but they've been hanging out with this guy who did amazing, miraculous things. And it's not just that. It wasn't like he was some Chris Angel dude that like just pulled off crazy tricks. Like he knew God. He claimed to be the son of God. I mean, he had a juice card like nobody else's. And so their end game is, well, this is going to be awesome. He's going to become king. I'm like his right-hand man. This is going to bode well for me. We're going into Jerusalem. People are getting excited, kind of going a little bit crazy. This is going to go well. But had they listened to him just a little bit sooner, we realize that that's not necessarily what they're walking into. This idea of no more Roman rule. If you're not with us, you're against us. And I'm with Jesus. He's the man. He's going to become king and either get in line and recognize he's number one and I'm kind of number two. Or here's a heaping dose of God's wrath that you can enjoy. I mean, that, that's kind of the mentality that's running through their head right now. And so, but we go back and we realize, uh, let's jump back to Luke 13, 18 through 21. Luke 13, 18 through 21. And Jesus has told a couple parables, basically telling them the opposite of that plan is true. Verse 18, he said, therefore, what's the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. 
and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Hey guys, I just want you to understand this. It's not going to be like high-speed internet where you're like, I want to get on the page and boom, it's there. It's going to be a lot more like this little bitty seed that we have to plant and we have to cultivate and we have to tend and we have to wait for it to grow. Now don't get me wrong, when it's done, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be majestic, but it's not going to happen like this. It's going to take time. But just in case you missed out on that one, guys, follow me again. And again, he said, verse 20, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Guys, look, what we've got here is a good deal, but we've got to need it. We've got to work it. We're in a culture that does not understand who I am. They don't get it. And it's going to take time. It's not going to happen immediately. But you see, they'd already come up with their own plan. They'd already determined, this is how it's going to look. This is the end game. And I'm in a really good position for this. And so we continue on with them. Jumping back to uh, Luke 19, we're going to be in verse 35. So they don't remember those things. And as it says, they're expecting it to come immediately. And it plays out. Verse 35, this is called the triumphal entry. Jesus is now, just as he said uh, in verse 11, um, because he was near to Jerusalem, he recognizes he's going into a big place. People's expectations are high. So here's what happens. They bring him a colt to sit on, uh, kind of a, a positional thing, also the fulfillment of a prophecy. And it says in verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing, and he was drawing near, already way, uh, excuse me, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." Okay, just put yourself in this picture for a minute. Jesus said, hey, guys, it's going to be a slow deal, all right? I'm coming to become Savior right now. King's a little bit later, but they're pumped about it. They've already got it. They've seen him do these amazing things. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's on a donkey. People are going a little bit nuts. They're throwing their shirts down so that the donkey doesn't have to walk on the cobblestone or on the dirt. Jesus is being ushered in. People are singing. They're rejoicing. They're shouting. They're dancing. The disciples are probably hanging really close to Jesus because that's how you get on the Vivitron big screen when you're at the game. You just stay close to the guy who's in the middle of the action. And so I I can imagine this playing out. They're coming down with Jesus, and Peter's like, Jesus, this is a great donkey. Pick the good one. All right, let's let's head on down. And they're walking, and people are kind of coming up and singing and rejoicing. And they get into the city, and they're like, hey, are you Peter? Yeah, I'm Peter. You hang out with Jesus, right? Yeah, I've been hanging out with him for like three years. We're real tight. He calls me kind of like his right-hand man, you know. And they're like, really? Yeah, like, okay, just, I mean, he does this kind of stuff all the time. But like not long ago, we were in the middle of a lake, teleported us three and a half miles. No. Yeah, like, you you, you see us coming down on the donkey? On the way down, he healed a blind dude. No, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And and so they're going crazy. And and Peter's like, I should probably get back. He needs me. You know, like, I go and get food for him. And, you know, I help him when people are sick. Kind of a big deal. But no, enjoy the festivities. I'll catch up with you later. And, you know, he goes back to hang out with you. This is a good day in their eyes to be a disciple. King's coming in, and they're the right-hand man. And we know this to be true because of what what we read just a second later. But if they had the memory of a dozen goldfish, 
they would have been better off. Hours before, I mean hours before this happened. In Luke 18, 31, Jesus says this. And taking the 12 hours before. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And he doesn't say, I'm about to become king. The Romans are going to flee. It's going to be our day, boys. Get excited. He says, I'm going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written about me is going to come true. Verse 32. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. I'll be mocked and shamefully treated. I'll be spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Hours before he goes in. Hours before this big party where the disciples are like, I'm kind of a big deal. Jesus explains to them exactly what's going to happen. Now this happens in our lives. Either God gives us a warning that we don't see. We read a scripture that we don't fully comprehend. Sometimes it's our own sin. Sometimes it's our own busyness. But sometimes It's God just withholding our understanding. That's this case. It says it at the very end in verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Now, that may seem a little cruel. How is God going to allow them to go into this party thinking Jesus is about to become king. And instead their world's about to be rocked because he's about to become a savior who dies for them. And let me answer it with a little bit of an example and a story. I read a book, highly recommend it. It's called Humility by, I'm never good at, I think it's C.J. Packer. I think, I think that's it. He wrote, he wrote this book, no, C.J. Mahaney. I'm combining two authors. C.J., right? Is that, is that, okay. Lifeline to Don and correct. Moving on. All right. So he writes this book called Humility, and in it he's got, here's something that you could do in the morning, here's some stuff to do in the evening, stuff to do throughout the day, and basically here's how you cultivate a life of humility and you kill pride in your life. And one of those is invite and pursue correction. And it's, it's written on my shower, uh, got a lot of stuff written on my shower uh, in dry erase marker, but that's one of the things so that in the morning, I'm look, hopefully, I'm praying about it, looking about it, and then going out throughout my day trying to live it out. Well, to do that, what I, what I do on occasion is get with Brad and Reynolds, and I usually don't tell them ahead of time, um, and just kind of walk in, I'm like, hey guys, Karen Ann did this and I did that. Was that good? Or I just had a youth kid come, come to me with this question and this is how I handled it. Or this situation presented itself and like, am I a big screw up or was that okay? Like, correct me. Correct me if I need correction. And they, they, it's, it's not like they're like, Will, you are steeped in sin. Fall down, repent. We're going to have some communion together. It's not usually that, it's usually more something along the lines of them just kind of smiling and me knowing in the back of their head what they're saying is, if you think it's tough with one kid, wait till number two makes it, you you know? Or, you know, if you think this is a difficult situation, wait till this one comes along in about six months. But they don't say that to me um, because it would wreck me. It would ruin me. Same thing's true. You know, we had... uh, I think it was a week or two ago, we were at youth, and one of the middle schoolers, one of the middle schoolers said, I don't remember if we were doing prayer class or whatnot, I love my middle schoolers, um, but one of, one of my middle schoolers said, I'm getting a boyfriend on Friday, 
And I was like, has school changed? Like, is there a, I'm going to go with blonde hair, blue eyes, five foot six, be ready on Friday. All right, come back. Like, how does that play out? And, and you know, sometimes, you know, you'll have a student come up and they'll say something to the effect of, as soon as I'm done with this project, life is going to ease up. And of course, I know, no, as soon as that project's done, life's going to throw you something up. But I don't say it to him. I don't say, you know, that guy's probably not going to work out. Like, it's probably going to break your heart. Like, I'll counsel them, but I'm not just going to, like, come down and be like, yeah, you think it's going to be great when the test's over. What you don't know is life's about to get even worse, okay? So enjoy that ride. You know, you don't wreck them like that. And so I, I think that's kind of what God is doing right now with the disciples. You know, he's holy. He's powerful. He can stand being outside of time and space and, and having all that. We can't do that. You know, sometimes I think we treat God like a GPS. It, we, we pick our destination, and if we've got any, any brains in our head, we, we don't spell it H-E-L. We skip the L and go H-E-A-V-E-N, heaven. Oh, that'll be a nice one. And we hit go, and then we're like, all right, let me add in some via points. I'm going to go with God, maybe a, uh, I could get married, have some well-behaved kids. I'm, I'd like to be successful and maybe throw in a jet ski. Go. All right, let's have my turn by turn. But that's not how God works. You see, we don't get turn by turn directions in life. That's part of faith. It's waiting on him to unveil what's coming next. And to be fair, sometimes we do know what's coming our way. Sometimes we know that our child is about to leave and go to college for four years. And it's going to be tough. Sometimes we know that we need to end this relationship that we're in. And it's not going to be easy. But sometimes God withholds our understanding of what's coming next out of his love for us. And so let's jump back. Let's get back with the disciples. Um, the disciples have their plan. They've got their God planning service, their GPS. It's mapped out. They know where they're going. They're with the King Jesus. And so we find them in Luke 22. You got to love this. Don't know how Jesus put up with them for this long. I'm sure that I'm just as sinful as they are and just don't realize it. Luke 22, verse 24. Got to love this. So you know their plan, what they're expecting. Jesus is going to be King. Verse 24, Luke 22. A dispute, a dispute. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. I imagine it like this. Mark's like, hey guys, glad you're all here. Disciples assemble. All right, glad you can make it, Jesus. Um, so as we're kind of going forward with this, guys, just want to make sure we're on the same page. Jesus is going to be the main guy. All right, he's going to be the king. We're going to let him do all the leading. Anybody got a problem with that? Okay, good. My thinking is, I'll go ahead and be prime minister. I'm going to be number two. Peter, we're going to need a secretary of defense. We're thinking that's for you. We're going to need some diplomats, I know, for some of you guys. So that's, that's my plan. What are you thinking? And then the other one's like, no, no, I'm going to be number two because of this. Don't you remember? I was the one who found the bread and the fish. Fed 5,000. And, and so you kind of see them going through this. Jesus is going to be the man, but about when it comes to us, Who's going to be number two? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. 
Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at a table, in other words, the one who's sitting at the table, or the one who's serving them? Is it not the one who sits, who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? Boys, don't you get it? If I was coming today in my role as king, you would be serving me. I'm coming to serve you. You're missing it. Sure, you're checking off the mark, and yes, you're hanging out with me, and you're spending time with me, you're reading your Bibles, and you're praying, but you're missing the path. Jesus is telling them that the change is coming. The change is, it's not going to be their plan, it's going to be God's. And the only way that we rightly handle that change in our life is to have the attitude of Christ, to serve him and not ourselves. The way that we handle, the way that you as an individual handle it, when you're going through something as difficult as a divorce, or you're watching a couple near you go through something like that, or the loss of a, a child, Karen Ann and I had a close friend um, fairly recently lose a child. And it doesn't have to be something hard and dark and, and deep like that. Sometimes it can be just simple as uh, something as simple as your, your job's cutting back and you're not making what you used to. The only way that we rightly handle those situations, and even the good ones, like the ones you're excited about, like, you know, your kid getting old enough to ride a bicycle. The way that you handle that and not like freak out and, you know, put them in some like big body suit is you have the attitude of Christ. And what was the attitude of Christ? Philippians chapter 2 tells us. I'm going to flip there now if y'all want to flip with me. I, I'm switching it up. I, I'm working out of the ESV, but I love the way the NIV puts this. So I'm going to be reading out of that for this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, er, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. His attitude was one of putting God first, those around him second, and then hopefully not even having time for himself. That is what we are called to live as Christians. We give our energy, we give our time, we give our effort to serving our God and our Savior. And with what we have left, we turn around and we serve the people around us, hopefully expending ourselves so much that we have nothing left for ourselves. That is the way that Christ calls us to live. And we, we ought to know it when we sign up for it, when we read things like, carry your cross and follow me. He who loves his life will lose it, but he who lays down his life for me will find it. Change is coming. Their world is about to be rocked. And he continues, Luke 22, verse 31. And he says, Simon... Simon, 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Something really interesting about this book, This book, he, he, he's referring to him as Simon, but since coming to Christ, his name has been Peter. It's, it's as if what Christ is saying is, you remember that man you were before I was a part of your life? That's the condition you're about to respond in. You remember who you were without me, Simon? That's how you're about to respond. And when he reads about, when he, when he says to them, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you, he may be looking at Peter, but the way he's using this word you is a plural. He's talking probably to all the disciples. And to be honest with you, this is a verse that we could probably very easily apply to our, us as individuals and our church. It is Satan's great desire. It is the enemy's great desire to sift us, to separate us from God. But Christ is praying for us. And he goes on and he says, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, you're going to screw up. You're about to fail. But when you repent, when you turn of this thing, don't get all inward on yourself and be all, woe is me. No, you come to God first, you repent, and then you go and you strengthen your brothers because they're going to need you in just a little bit here. And Peter said to him in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. He goes on and he continues. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? When I didn't give you money, when I didn't give you anything to carry your stuff in, I didn't even give you shoes, guys. Were you covered? Yeah, Jesus, we had everything that we needed. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Hey guys, when y'all were with me, we, I, I kind of took care of you, right? Yeah, Jesus, you always took care of us. I mean, you took care of us and everybody else. Okay, well, here's what I want you to understand. It's time to pick up a sword because I'm not gonna be here with you like this for much longer. And the enemy and other people are going to come to oppose you. It's time to pick up a sword. And then I, I love this and I hate this because it shows our condition, but then we have to deal with the fact that this is our condition. For I tell you that this scripture, verse 37, must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what was written, what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Let me break this down. Jesus is basically unveiling the fact that he, the Holy One, the Son of God, pure, blameless, without sin in his life, this is what he's saying, is about to be numbered as one of the transgressors. Guys, I'm going to take on all your dirt and your filth. I'm going to take on your junk and I'm going to die as I've been telling you I am. And you need to be prepared because the world is going to be a different place when I'm not right here beside you. And their response is, Jesus, we found two swords. Didn't he have to sell the cloak? It was like right here. Crazy? They miss it. Sometimes we miss it because God withholds it. But I think sometimes we're just too busy. Sometimes we're busy doing plenty of good things. It's just not God's thing. And sometimes it is a sin issue. About a week and a half ago, we went down to the beach for 
a family vacation. And right now is a very fun time in my family uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Emily's in town from Norway. She's right here. Uh, and she brought her boyfriend, John Peter, and he brought his family. So that's always exciting because we only get to see her a couple of times a year. But also Ellis is a year and a half, which means he's standing on the edge of pools like, dad, 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 dad. And then like he'll jump in and like, it's real exciting. He'll face plant in the sand and run in and out of the waves. And so, and so it's a fun time to go to the beach. But one of my favorite things to do whenever I'm there, and, and it's become increasingly difficult to do, um, is once Ellis is asleep and once Karen Ann's taken care of and, you know, the lights go out in the condo, I like to go outside and just sit on the beach. Um, I, it's one of my favorite, like, little quiet time places. And so about a week and a half ago, I was out there, and it was excellent. It was beautiful, full moon lighting on the caps of waves that were stretching into the horizon. Cloudless night, could see stars forever ages away, as far as the eye could see. And it, it's in places like that where life just kind of quiets itself, and eternity presents itself. If you've ever been camping um, with young people before, you know this, because on the way, like during the day, it's all like, what's on your iPod? Oh my gosh, that's great. I love that. And then like you get there, and the stars come out, and they're like, Everything happens when we die. You know, it's like all of a sudden, like life has quieted and, and, it, and it's like, I wonder what marriage is like. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And so it, it, it was a situation like that, but what kept pestering me, and, and it was a good time. I spent time with the Lord and just kind of talked and communed with him. But what was irritating me a little bit was that while I could see all of this majesty, as far as the eye could see, if I just turned my head this way or that way, I could see condos as far as the eye could see. Now, that doesn't necessarily bother me. Uh, this is extra. Is that mine? Okay, all right. <clears throat> I have the same ringtone as somebody else. <clears throat> That'll teach you to bring yourself on. All right, so anyway, <laughs> condos are stretching as far as the eye can see. And that doesn't bother me necessarily. I'm, a, I'm actually a very strict capitalist. Um, and so anyway, but what did get to me was this in just about all the condo, as far as I could see them, there was the telling glow of a television. It's kind of like, doo, doo, doo. you know what I'm talking about? Like you can see it in the window and you know, somebody's watching TV cause it's like flash, flash. And don't get me wrong. I love watching movies at the beach. It, it, it's one of my favorite things to do there. And just the night before that was me, but it made me sit there and pause and say, I wonder how often I've exchanged an opportunity for something great, for something just so weak and so trivial, just because I've got the cruise control button pushed on my Christianity. Yes, Jesus, I've read my Bible and I prayed with my family today, so now I'm going to chill out for three hours and watch like a marathon of Star Wars. And I wonder if that's not the same mentality that the disciples caught themselves with. Jesus, we're hanging out with you. We're walking with you. We got it. We're good. And they don't pick up what he's saying when he says the great exchange is about to occur. And so it does. Rather than them hearing the truth of the message, they checked off their boxes. And within just a few days, Jesus is arrested He's mocked, he's beat, this is in the order it occurs. He's beat, he's accused, he's transferred from one accuser to another, then transferred back, mocked the entire way. He's sentenced, carrying his own cross, and eventually crucified and dies. And that was not the change that they were expecting. They had pinned their hopes on their plan 
with Jesus involved rather than God's plan with them involved. And when the things that we trust in fall, and understand this, I'm not saying they were, they were trusting in Christ and Christ failed them. He did not fail them at all. They were trusting in their perspective of a plan that was never God's plan to begin with. And that fell. And for us, it might be something like our financial stability. It may be our job. It may be our marriage. For some of you, it may be this church. And at some point, all of that will fail you. I don't think that would bother Brad at all for me to tell you that if your hopes are pinned on Crosspoint to get you through all things, you will be failed. And I don't mean like we're going to accidentally put the wrong slide up for the worship. I'm talking about you're needing something or you're expecting something and the need just goes unmet for some reason because we, the, the pastors, the leadership, are broken people in a broken world clinging fast to the only thing that is whole and sometimes we miss it. And so that happens to them. And maybe for you, it's when you realize that your plan and God's plan are two very, very different things for your life. And so what happens when this occurs? Well, we follow Mark and we follow Peter. Mark 14, 51 and 52, it's going to pop up here. Jesus is about to be arrested. And it says, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth. This is only written in Mark's book. A lot of theologians believe that this is Mark, but for his own modesty, he didn't put his name in. As soon as they come to arrest Jesus, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left his linen cloth and ran away naked and shamed. You see, when they grabbed the guy that was supposed to become king on his path to become his savior, it wasn't what he expected, and he split he ran, he fled, and he did so leaving his clothes behind, shaming himself. And then Peter, we have in Matthew 26, verse 73. You, you've heard this story. We just read about how Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. You just came down the hill and said you were like his right hand man. And now you're saying you don't know him? Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. To break down what just happened, it's not like he said, no, I don't know him. He called down a curse. He basically said something to the effect of, if I knew him, may God strike me down now. Seven days pass. And when something happens in our life, that we don't expect, if we don't, or even if we expect it sometimes, if we don't have the attitude of Christ, it will ruin us and it will wreck us. So what is the attitude of Christ? Going back to Philippians 2. It goes on and it says this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Not run off, leaving your clothes behind, shamed and naked. No, when change comes, when something difficult comes, we don't run, we don't flee. We get down and we pray and we say, God, you are in charge and you are in control. And it doesn't matter what my life plan was because I am following you. 
And it goes on and it says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not lie, not backbite, not curse like Peter did, but simply say, okay, God, you've brought this thing, and it's not easy, or I see this thing coming, and I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Whatever the situation is. And instead of cursing and backbiting and lying, we say, Jesus, you are Lord. And when we do that, it goes on and says, to the glory of God the Father. You want to know how to make your life count for Christ? You show the gospel when difficulty comes. There's very few things more beautiful than the man staying late at the office trying to provide for his family because the economy is difficult and finding himself there incredibly late, missing his wife, missing his kids, and just instead of fleeing from it and saying, that's it, we'll do something else, I'm not going to do this, falling to his knees and saying, Jesus, you are God. I'm trusting you. I need you to get me through. It's the young mom who wakes up at three in the morning for the ninth time to nurse and take care of their kid who won't go to sleep and is ready to pull out what's left of her hair. And instead of just saying, I can't believe you did this to me, husband. That's it. I'm done. I'm going and staying at my mom's house. Instead of saying that, it's simply her quietly whispering over her child, Jesus, you are in control. That is how we point to Christ. And that is what we must do as a church when we move. We're, we're not moving to a different state. I, I mean, it's a handful of miles. But when we get there, it's going to be so easy to say, this place is nice and it's cool and we don't have to set up every time. We don't have to break down every time. This is great. Thank you, Jesus. Instead of saying, how can I expend myself? How can my attitude be the attitude of Christ? How can I serve this church? And in so doing, how can I serve the community? How can I attack a culture that says Jesus isn't good enough, he's not needed, and he's not necessary by pouring myself into this place? Because that is the attitude of Christ. So when it happens, do we fall or have faith? Do we flee or do we kneel? Do we lie and backbite and curse? Or do we just simply say, Jesus is Lord? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we were never guaranteed an easy walk when we signed up to do life with you. What we were guaranteed was indeed the opposite, that difficulty was going to come, that things that we didn't expect would present themselves, and that we were signing up for a more difficult life. But Father, I pray that in that we would find joy I pray that our selfishness would be pushed to the wayside as the power of your spirit overtakes our life. God, may we be a people who gladly walk through difficulty, seeing it as an opportunity to point to the cross so that those around us who don't know you will see through the example of our lives a faith and a hope that exists nowhere else on the planet. And in so doing, would you woo them to yourself? God, as we prepare to move from one building to another, 
I pray, Father, that it wouldn't be for comfort and it wouldn't be for ease, but that it would be that we would have more of an opportunity to expend our energy, our time, our effort, our resource to pour it out into a culture that very, very much needs you. And may you receive glory as we take on the attitude of Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.